Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Ah, oh, part two. Isn't it so luxurious? I can't believe we uh, we uh, had the luxury of all that time between breaks. What's a party without a few casualties, huh? More ice for Queenie. More ice for Queenie. That's a line from Lacusa's. Um, and as as Andrew Lippa once said, prison. Uh, <laughs> which if you, if, you str- if you skipped straight to part two and not, didn't listen to part one, it's a line in Raise the Roof. So many women and and food. Where can you find all that in one place? Prison. Welcome back to Broadway Breakdown. Uh, this is part two of a previous discussion where we are determining once and for all which wild party is better, Lacusa or Lippa. So we have laid out both works, their histories, and now is the fun part where we <laughs> look at them side by side and we say, who wore it best? Ooh. Yes. So how do we even get into this, Adam? How do we like jump into comparing the two and like finding the answers? Um, I mean, I think that really is, it's easiest to start from the beginning, isn't it? I think that- I guess so. I think just side by side, just sort of, you know, we can, we can jump around, but I think just comparing the openings uh, and their similarities and, and differences in, uh, is a great place to start just because as we discussed in the, the previous um, episode, if that's what we're, we're calling this part, part one, um, just mm. how, um, how both of the opening numbers use the prose from the poem, but, um, or the verse from the poem, mm-hmm. but um, to sort of to different effects, yet similar at the same time. So I, I think if we're, if we're doing comparing and contrasting, there's no better place to start. Yes, as a, a wise nanny once said, a very good place to start. Um, when you read, you begin with shut the fuck up. Uh, so <laughs> that's how I learned to read from, from drag queens and Paris is burning. So <laughs> yes, yeah, so we have our opening numbers. We have Queenie was a blonde. And as I said, the two could not begin a more different musical notes. You uh, have Andrew Lippas, which I think actually in the script, it starts with gunshots and then goes into the the jazzy bluesy horns right uh because it's not which on is the actually album a similar which is actually a similarity uh to the 
Lacusa version. They, the, the gunshots just happen at a, diff- at a different spot. Different, yeah, different spot in the beginning, but they both foreshadow gunshots. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and I think there's also like police sirens, which then goes into the right. I will say in if, the Lipa version. Yes, in the Lipa version. If the Lipa version. The Lipa version basically tells you what music you're in for in the first, like, two minutes, mm-hmm. uh, which is, you know, you're going to hear jazz, you're going to hear blues, you're also going to hear pop and rock, because it's <laughs> it, it sort of scales up, and then you have the do-do-do-do-do-do, and then the ba-da-ba-da-bow-bow-bow, um, and it's a lot of that kind of dynamic, and it is very, like, sultry, mm-hmm. sensual, and, like, cute, and it's queenie. Cute. <laughs> cute well yeah because it's 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 that girl queenie is singing about herself in a very like whispery sensual mm-hmm. way that's like it's that girl who's like And then you have Lacusa, who hits you with that hot wrong chord into the drums, into the ba da 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 da, and right. it tells you also the kind of music you're going to hear. It also like jolts you out of your seat. That it right. throws you for a loop, and Lacusa also kind of informs you this is the style, this is the framing device we're going to open with, which is a vaudeville set in limbo, essentially. Queenie was a blonde and her age stood still. was a tinted mask of snow. Well, I think, and I, well, I guess maybe this leads us into the, the larger conversation and maybe our, our real starting point, which is style. Yeah. Uh, how, the, how these two different writers approached the poem, how to dramatize it, which is honestly just as evident in the opening number as any, Lippa goes for a straightforward musical and tur- and trying to turn the poem which is really you know short on plot and uh, does not give you a ton of insight into characters and tries to give it a classic musical theater structure while applying you know not not always traditional music mm-hmm. and there are time I it's not about whether it works or not for me it's more about like well I guess no, I guess it's about if it works but like you can read the Lippa script and lyrics and you can say that song is meant to be there. That makes sense. Is like, that's, that's the opening number. That's the, and giving us the exposition and the backstory. This is the, I want song. This is the mm-hmm. introduction of all the secondary characters, but you have to ask like, does that apply to the work you're using as your source material? Because where, so like, whereas I'm sh- like when when writing Little Mermaid, Howard Ashman probably looked at the Hans Christian Andersen fairy tale and was like, "Oh yeah, there's the I want song. I want to be where the people are." Totally, like it's it's there. It's not hard to find. Right. It's harder to read the March poem, or is it March or is it more? It's more. Monkey or more? March. Monkey or March? <laughs> sorry, everybody. Sorry, I said I don't know everything. The March poem. It's a little harder to read it and to find where the I want song is, um, and. So whereas 
it's yeah, it's more speculative. It's just more about yeah. this is this this thing happened, but it doesn't really give you a lot of yeah. insight as far as why or or why it's all really happening. Want. What's yeah, the yeah, motivation? Yeah. So whereas, whereas Lippa kind of delves into the characters and kind of forms his own way through it, he's like, I need to think of what would make this happen. So he comes up with an I want. Lacuse's kind of like, I don't need to do that um the the why of the party is not important we just need to get to the party the lipa version is successful in terms of giving you all that information Mm -hmm. the lacusa one is not so interested in a ton of answers it's it's up to you in a lot of ways and the lipa version and this is not necessarily andrew lipa's fault this is the case with any work when you want to give as much information as possible, more questions then will always arise. It's how I sort of feel with a lot of the Disney remakes, like when they do Beauty and the Beast and they're like, well, we're going to fill in all the quote unquote plot holes, which aren't plot holes. They are just, you know, straight boys on the internet having fun being like, where's everything in the castle then have a human person? And where's Belle's mom? And it's like, right. It's it's unimportant to the story. Yeah, and it's like, if you just sort of put two and two together with your imagination, like, you can answer it yourself. It's an enchanted castle, so, like, not every plate was once a human being. They're just enchanted plates. And so with, like, the Lippa one, it's more with every thing that is explained to justify why brings up more questions. Like, when I was saying how burrs in queenie was blonde he goes he was bored he didn't want to be bad he was looking for like the woman that raises more questions of like uh does that just like mean any do you think like every man that's violent is just like violent because he's with the wrong woman like that is that like and i don't think that's what he means to do but that those are questions that come up when you try to over answer it's provi- trying to provide a soul and a heart to characters that don't really have much of it or rather should say like are so damaged that when you try to give like a heartfelt reasoning behind their awful actions right it sounds like you're trying to justify the actions he didn't want to be bad he was bored he was sore he was dying for more where was she? Queen. That special girl who could send him over the top. One day he'd find her. Until she found the one. But as far as openings go, they're it's it's they're they're the same, but so incredibly different. Yes, um, and it, it's a matter of what you're looking for from your opening. The Lippa is more chopped up and i find it very musically fulfilling myself yeah. uh but i think some people really like the sweep sweepiness swept being swept away by the uh hugeness of the of the opening for the lip of queenie i'll also say the lipa version takes its sweet time to get to the party uh the lipa version is yeah. longer overall because it has it is two acts and when you are two acts you can uh allow yourself to have longer periods because you know your audience is going to get a break at some point right we get backstory we get a little more backstory with the lipa version in terms of how they came to meet and know each other and all of and, that and where... their whole kerfuffle is uh i'm, I'm not gonna i don't want to use the term dragged out because that's uh that's a more negative term than i mean it is the the confrontation takes longer in the lipa version it is a you get the idea of what a drawn out afternoon it is of the heat of the laziness I think that's safe to say about like all of the big conflicts that happen in the show. They all feel more drawn out and take longer. Yes. Than you might want them to. Yes. There's a there is a lot of sort of um, gunpowder being slowly 
drawn across the floor. Mm-hmm. Not a hint of a match in sight. And then you see the match, but then there's like 10 minutes till they drop the match. It's that, it's very much that. Um, it's a lot of matches as my imagery is lately. So if I were to say there's something that if what Lippa's wild party does really well is that it makes very clear what's at stake. Mm-hmm. The motivations and the, and the emotional human connections are very clear cut. It's understandable. You get it. But because of that, it's a lot easier to judge how successful it is at following through on that. And also whether the emotions and the songs being sung justify the stakes that have been set. There are higher stakes in the Lacusa one that maybe are not as clear cut or are as well defined by an audience member on first glance, but mm-hmm. because and it's because they deal with a lot, I don't want to say loftier because it's not like noble, but the idea of you know the American dream and race and gender and money and it's it's looking at a bigger picture. Yeah, definitely, it's, it's looking it's, at the bigger picture of America at that time. Right. Uh, by seeing these people in an industry that has always sort of been perceived as glamorous, which one could say about America, like always perceived as you know the golden child, and seeing the toxic bile that's underneath it, and the doubt and the resentment and the fear and the longing and the injustice of it all Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. uh and that's and that's why it's very important with the race in the characters of wild party whereas like so you said last time uh and i want to remember and i want to remember it you said a lot of things last time that i want to bring up because you said a lot of good stuff last time uh (laughs) you could you could justify color not color conscious but like you could justify casting just about any character in the lip wild party as a different race and it would probably make sense yeah, Whereas, you could you could mix it up and do. I mean, my, I I hate the term colorblind casting, but you could you could cast it blindly, and it wouldn't ultimately have any major effect on yes. the plot or how people interact with each other. Yes. Uh, that actor can bring something new to that role, which would be really exceptional, and we would and I would love to see that. But yes, in terms of how the story is perceived, it would not necessarily alter it in any major way. You could maybe find new levels, which would be fun. But how what the story is trying to do does not. So actually, let me let's reword it this way: What the story is trying to do in the Lip of Wild Party would not be changed by uh, casting an actor of a different ethnicity from that that originated the role. Does that make right. sense? Yes, I agree. Okay. It's very it's a very wordy way to say it, but sometimes putting in the extra work is worth it, don't you think? The Lacusa version is <laughs> sometimes. The Lacusa version, race is very, very specific. It is mm-hmm. very important to who's playing what. Because it definitely, some roles are written to be black and some roles are written to be white. And you could argue a couple of roles for something else, but it messes with the dynamic of the characters in the show. It messes with the, not the hierarchy, but sort of where they're coming from when they enter that party. Mm-hmm. Um, like, Eddie is is written to be black in this version. It's uh, based off of the uh, the boxer. Uh, God, is it Jack Johnson? John Jackson? God damn it! I think I, 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 it's it's one of the two. I remember you said to me before, but I can't remember. Sorry. I and you would have thought that I would remember it, but I don't. I'm terrible. 
however, guys, and I said it last time, I'll say it again. It's not as bad as Mono on Drag Her thinking that Edith Piaf starred in La Vie en Rose. That is I, still... I, I still can't. I still can't. He, he needs to never bottom again as punishment for that heinous crime to gay agendas <laughs> everywhere. Um, That's like that. It is, it is the difference between uh, equal opportunity in casting as opposed to specifically creating parts for actors of different ethnicities, which is <laughs> something that was being discussed with um, the We See You White Theater movement. In fact, a positive way to sort of lift both wild parties up is that they offer both ends of the spectrum of uh, equal opportunity because you could, any actor of any ethnicity could play any of these roles. And then also roles that represent uh, different ethnicities and different heritages and different backgrounds that, so mm -hmm. you have, you know, you have both sides of that, which I think is nice. And, and, and strong care. I mean, if, if we're talking to the, the, the racially specific uh, version, the strong characters, people yes. who, you know, I mean, Kate, Kate is a, a great example of, you know, of someone who's at the top of their game and has managed to, you know, be a, a black woman in the twenties and succeeding. Yeah. Which I don't know how fully realistic that is. I mean, I'm sure if you were to do a version of the play where you see more of her life, I'm sure she's dealing with crazy bullshit all the time. Yeah. But she's, she's lucky enough at that time anyway, to have sort of a bit of like Josephine Baker type fame. Well, and that's the thing I, the entertainment industry was, is really, I don't know if it's the first industry, but it could very well be, at least in America, where Black women could succeed. Because Black mm. men could succeed in sports like boxing, for example, uh, which is its own kind of uh, ironic cruelty that, you know, the sport that Black men could thrive in in America was one where they got beat up. And a lot of the more successful ones were the ones that, like, would throw matches. Uh, they would like get paid more to throw a match because America didn't want to see them win too many matches. But black women, I feel like the entertainment industry was the first one where they were allowed to like stay claiming. And even then, you know, there's a double-edged sword to that. You have, you know, Lena Horne who was given small parts in movies for years and then didn't really own her talent until well into her 50s. To get to where they were when they did mm. is a testament to their talent and their tenacity. And mm -hmm. that is something that a lot of the women in Wild Party have. Because like to, sur to make it that far, they had to. Right. Which is something that I don't think you really get in the lip of Wild Party. You don't get that grit and that survivor's uh, determination. You don't see the battle scars as much. It's a little more emotional. Yeah. Well, and so, and just to c continue discussion of character, I think an interesting choice that's made between the two is for the Lippa one that we get introduction to a few of the party guests, mm -hmm. but don't really dwell on them. Um, they, they, they're given a, a name and a personality, but still ultimately are Greek chorus yeah. for the evening where, you know, in the, in the Lacusa one, you really are introduced to everybody, you know, you know, where everybody stands, what their, what their background is, what their, their want or need for the evening is. And the it's, and it's very successful in, it sort of does that thing where the writing does that thing, like when you watch a, like a sitcom that you like, where after 
you know, after a show's existed for a while, they start trying to come up with combinations of different characters you've never seen interact before to like mm-hmm. amp something up. And I think that it does, I think that the, that the Lacusa version does a great, uh, a great service to the, the environment of the party by continually pairing different people up until ultimately everybody, you know, fucks. But you, but, but over they the do. course of that's, the, that's the orgy. That's the one with the orgy. And yes. I guess the party does the same thing in the Lipa version, but you really only get to see four people's perspectives through it. Yes. It is a narrow, it's a narrow, narrower. It's a narrower. It's, it's now a It's a now. <laughs> no, you can't say it. <laughs> I can't. God narrower. damn it. It's a narrower. There you go. perspective of the party but mm-hmm. that is also there is a merit to that as well because when you choose fewer lanes you can give more time to those characters she's a little bit stale she's a little bit fresh she's a lot of bit ice she's a lot of bit flesh i always do the mothering yes you might call it smothering different as the day and night opposite as wrong and right together we make dynamite hold on tight for my best So we were discussing like what were the sort of motives and the attitudes of both versions. Like what do they try to do? What do they, what, what's their goals? How are they trying to present it? How successful are they at this? So I would say, so we said like the Lacusa one is how do I take this, how do I take a music, how do I take musical theater and apply it to this poem? Or I should say rather like, yeah, no, how do, I, how do I make musical theater fit for this poem? And then Lippa's, which is, how do I make this poem fit for musical theater? And I would- I would and, agree with that, yeah. yeah. So let's address the danger for a second, and then sure. I want to get into characters. So right. danger. It's a dangerous poem about dangerous people doing dangerous things. Mm-hmm. How do we think both versions address the danger? As far as the, the from the initial moment, you get the- you get the, the the pulling of the knife, which happens in both, where where Burr's attacks Queenie and Queenie pulls the knife out. And I think that in both in both versions, that sparks an immediate undertone of these people are not stable mm-hmm. within with with each other. And um and I and 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 they both also have several moments where Burr's and Queenie have asides with each other and and threats are made back and forth. Um, I think because the Lippa one, as we've gone over, is much more narrow, narrowly focused on its four leads, mm-hmm. um, the danger, I don't know. I, it feels, in some ways it feels less dangerous to me, maybe partially because of just the, the, the style in which the show is written. Mm-hmm. Um, it feels lighter. Um, and a little breezier and and like you're supposed to be having fun. Yeah, it's a playful sexual danger. Where I think every character that you meet in the Lacusa version, you you get a sense of their, their you're adding one more piece to the puzzle for something to really go wrong. Yes, I, so. Yeah. For the Lippa one, I would say Lippa understands what the majority of audiences need in order to process a story, to process characters. Mm -hmm. He understands 
on a fundamental level, the steps it takes and the time it requires and the number of times you need to repeat yourself. Uh, the Lacusa and George C. Wolf one, A, they don't really care if you like the characters. They care more about you seeing parts of yourself and parts of the world on stage. They mm-hmm. care about the un- the truly uncomfy truths. And I don't think, and that goes beyond just like these main four main characters, but uh, goes into you know, racism and gender roles and, and economic status and, and what have you. But the danger in Lippas for me is, doesn't feel very dangerous. I think because it is so intent on making sure that the show can be processed by, by most people. And mm-hmm. which which sounds also like a PC way of going, it's too commercial. But what I mean by that is like what we're learning right now in this time with Black Lives Matter is like how and with and, you know, defund the police is how so much of where we've come to is people being so complacent and not dealing with what makes them uncomfortable and looking inwards at all the nasty uh ground that our systemic racism and and sexism and and everything is sort of built upon mm-hmm. and so it's 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 a more easily digestible uh presentation of the story but the story itself is not meant to be easily digestible and i feel like that is sort of where the lacusa version succeeds better is that it understands the the nastiness of the poem and the danger you feel is because it has no problem actually making you uncomfortable. So like when Burrs has his breakdown in the Lacusa one, the music is actually quite ugly as opposed to the Lippa one with Let Me Drown, which is a bop. And the right. last thing you really want to feel when someone's having a murderous breakdown is this is a bop. Um, right. Well, and I think I, I, I would say in, refer- in reference to Burrs, I think, I think the danger of Burrs in the Lacusa one is prevalent throughout. Yeah. As because they've they've created him as well, first of all, I mean, I don't think I don't know if we've even discussed it this this time, that that Burrs is in blackface for his act. Yes. Um, oh no, we we Oh we did a little bit. Well but, I don't not oh not for this portion when we were not discussing when we were discussing the two, yes. Right. But assuming so, if you jumped part one and came straight to this, it's because you know that Burz's act is blackface in the Lacusa version. Right. And and Lippa, he's a, a red-nosed clown. Um and you know, and I you know, we all have our like the scary clown thing, you know, and, and I think and I and I and I get the scary clown thing with, with the red nose burrs, but and, and and he does have moments where he is threatening and he is scary in the Lippa version. I just there there's something and maybe it's Mandy Patinkin's performance, but I but I think it really is there in the writing as well, where this Burrs is dead set on making something happen. you never root for him. And in fact, you're always kind of in fear of him, which makes his breakdown all the more terrifying. And again, because the breakdown happens alone and it happens with music that is not music you want to sing along to. It is 
the kind of music that truly feels like something's about to go down. Right. Well, and I think, you know, I mean, there, and there's so, there's so much other danger that happens in the show that isn't Burrs, but I think, you know, even just the, the bringing up of it, uh, is, I think it's in Gin Wild, uh, where, uh, when Dolores used the line from, uses the line from the poem, uh, he beat her with the heel of her, his shoe till her lips turned blue. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, what he's capable of as, as a, as a violent person. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you know, that, that you're, it's, it's sort of the proof that your fear of him is well-founded as an audience member. Mm-hmm. You're like, this guy is not okay. And then to get this, this, I mean, at this point, we trust Dolores as a, as a voice, I think. Yeah. We're Actually, on her side. So, you know, you know what I just remembered in the lyric of Queenie was a blonde from the Lippa version is mm-hmm. when they're talking about Burrs and his violent streak is the women saying, you know, uh, but behind the scenes, he was mean and rough. He was built of violent, violent stuff. And he sings, they liked him tough. Right. It's almost a, a pardon for his violent behavior. Cause it's like, A, he never went so far as to kill anybody. And the women he was violent with liked it. So like, right. it was consensual, right? And it, it gives him a bit of a pass. Uh, whereas in... This one, the Lacusa one is, and again, and you said it perfectly. I don't want to go on for too long because, you know, Lord knows we could talk. But when Dolores brings up the heel of his shoe, so her lips turn blue, as you said, like it confirms our suspicions that he's capable of truly violent and deadly stuff and not Mm -hmm. in a, it's kind of sexy how he can be rough, right? Like, no, it's this, there's nothing sexy about it. It's pure danger. Now, that being said, I want to go into a flaw of both versions that mm-hmm. is uh, not, it's both their faults and also the fault of the poem because, and well, while I also said that the Lippo version successfully makes a structured musical out of the poem where it fails as well is because like, there is not a lot of plot or heart to be found in the poem. So when you try to create that, it feels forced and, and makes the other things that, happen in the musical letter from the poem feel ridiculous the two the thing that both musicals kind of falter with is the character of black who is Mm -hmm. truly the catalyst of this piece oh yeah big time it's i it's it's he's a character who you i mean of all of them you're given very little information about Mm -hmm. even in even in the lipa version where characters are the, the four lead characters are supposedly more clearly drawn mm-hmm. although you even you even said that kate and black are, are a little more muddy in terms of yes. who they are um their 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 relationships to burrs and queenie are more well defined in the lip version in terms of like the arc of the show but right. they themselves are not as well defined as queenie and burrs right yeah i mean you get you know so so mr black you know is the is the handsome stranger from outside mm-hmm. um and Outside of that, I mean, we know that he uh, he's a John, mm-hmm. at least in the Lacusa version. Is Do we think he is in the Lipa version? It's made unclear. I think he is. They don't... And also in the Lipa version, Kate's a prostitute. Right. So they probably... So they, they may know each other from... From the streets. She said, I met street. him on, like, on, I met him last night. I think she even says on the street. Um, right. So, so, so they may be in business in that way together in yeah. the, the Lippa version. But ultimately, you know, he is, he is a, an escort. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's something, 
there's something very intriguing about that, you know, to have th this escort who's brought to a party by a well-to-do woman who ultimately gets wrapped up in everything. Mm -hmm. um, and it, and yeah, it's, but it's true because there isn't as much written about him in the poem, it makes it harder to flesh him out. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and it, I guess, the, I guess they, both of the, the shows try their, try to make him um, a sympathetic character. Mm -hmm. um, and, and appealing and, and, and to make you see why Queenie would ultimately want to go with him. Mm -hmm. um, which, and, and I don't think that, I don't think that, it, that either of them falter there. I think that they, they, they're both given some sort of a, a kind or charming number where you can see how the initial attraction starts. Mm -hmm. But beyond that, there really isn't much there there for him. Yeah. The connection between the two, I think is, they both versions have the moment where you're like I can see why she why there's a connection here for the Lacusa one it's a more it's a longer game they, it's really right. not until people like us and at that point it's not carnal it's emotional right uh and it works on a musical theater level because we hear it and we're like yes this is gorgeous the lyrics are perfect I love it what makes it kind of almost not work at the same time is that it doesn't feel earned from the point of view of black because we don't know that much about him. And right. I think we get caught up in it because we now are so we know Queenie so well and we actually more associate people like us with Queenie than we do with black. Right. Black almost kind of gets it's more sort of people like us feels justified. He's like her backup singer. Yeah. Bitch. Yes. In the Lacusa version, it almost feels like they're there's an intention, and I wish it was just a little bit stronger, of kind of making him like a character in a movie who's you only see the back of his head. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Where it's like, because it's, her, it's the story is about her and not really about him and his growth through the evening, it's about hers. Mm -hmm. That it's, it would, it's almost like you would want it filmed in a way where you just always saw the back of his head and her interacting with him and getting something out of it. Does that make sense? That like, makes I, sense, yes. It took, that took, took me a while like a to get there. He's, he's like, like a shadow. shadow. Yeah, well, um, and you could argue that he's not fleshed out because he doesn't really need to be. It's her story, sure. not his. But in order to buy into why she's having the development she's having, you have to buy into him. And I also just think that one of the shortcomings is that in a show, in the, in the Lacusa, in a show where everyone seems to have a backstory song. Yeah. He doesn't have one. Well, so he kind of does, but they cut it on Broadway and then they reinstated it in the script after the fact. Oh, you're talking about the monologue. Yes. So we brought this up in part one. Sorry. Sorry about it if you didn't listen. But in the scene where... Kate or Queenie and Black finally have sex. And we brought this up before, but the Wild Party on Broadway had many backstage drama. And then when they were in previews, it was like 50 minutes too long and it was intermissionless and they needed to cut it because there were, as Adam said in the last one, uh, there were complaints from the orchestra. They, you know, it's the music in, in the cues is hard and it's fast and it's jazzy and it's sexy. And, and it's need, constant. And it's constant. And it, you, it is not music that can be played for two hours and 45 minutes straight. You need either it needs to be shorter or you need the break. And it was very important to George C. Wolf 
and Michael John accused it to not have an intermission, so cuts had to be made. Eventually, they got it down to about an hour and 50, which, I mean, for some people, that's still a lot, but I guess when you started with 245 and you got to an hour and 50, it's like, yeah, I can do that. I can do that. Right. Um, where's, God, where's that video? Where's that, like, first preview or even audio? I would love to hear oh, I'm all sure, of that stuff. I'm it's sure somebody has it. But so... One of the things that got cut towards the end of previews was when Queenie and Black are in bed together after the fact, and she sings This Is What It Is and gets interrupted. He has this whole monologue about sort of um, where he came from and what brought him to New York. And it's not detailed. It's not like, Iowa, 1910. And then I came on the train. Picture it. Picture picture it. Iowa, 1910. No, it is... It is still a very vague monologue because it's not about the logistics of where he was, but rather emotionally where he was and why he became the person he is. And even kind of calls out the fact in this monologue that his persona is bland and and dapper, like and sort of intentionally so. In the same way that Madeline True projects Sally onto Sally, people would project on the what made Black so successful as a as a gigolo was women could project onto him what they wanted and what they needed because he was this blank slate and that helped him survive and with queenie he's finally being him and the same like whereas she puts up a wall of energy to shut everyone else out he puts up a, a wall of stone this heart of stone uh i can't i'm sorry i had to and the two kind of like crumble away and they start to see who the other one is. I, so actually, I would say, maybe it's because we spend more time with Queenie that we feel like we know more about her. But in truth, we don't really see the real Queenie until the last like 20 to 30 minutes of the show. In the same right. way that we start to see this the real Black, it's just that we've spent A, more time with Queenie and B, the wall that Queenie has put up is so much more interesting than the mm-hmm. one that he's put up. For sure. So we could say that um, her arc makes more sense. He goes through kind of the same arc. It's just that his starts later and the wall he puts up is so much more intentionally bland. And that doesn't really make sense until you read this monologue, which I hope is now in the licensed version. Yeah, I would hope so too. Published. I hope it's like- licensed, yeah. I hope it's in the licensed version. Yeah, I don't know. You hope. You hope. We'll we'll have to call the Rodgers and Hammerstein organization. To quote Barrett Wilbert Weed, you hope, you dream, you pray. So, where else do we want to go? What else do we want to say? What else do we want to get on- into? We talked about characterizations. We talked about dramatizations. We talked about Black, which is truly the weak point of both shows. Yeah. Uh, um, on a technical level, we say one is more sound than the other. In just in terms of like more indestructible, harder to fuck up. I mean, I guess I would probably say the Lippo one only because because it is more traditional. Mm-hmm. I think it's more laid out for you, um, and I think, and this kind of comes down to a technical thing too. You know, with the with the Lacusa one, the way that it was originally staged. Once you were in the house, um, and it's not to say that you have to do it this way, but the but the the um the apartment was on a, a turntable mm-hmm. and so it gave you the free flow option to move from room to room 
and section of the house to section of the apartment to section of the apartment really seamlessly throughout the course of the evening and and let there be a flow and actually be able to cut off things you didn't want the audience to see mm-hmm. you know i think that and that, and i think that that's a cha- that can be challenging in terms of you know finding a way to stage it so that you so that it's clear that everyone is in the same apartment um, and that it feels like an open studio apartment space, but but I think I think focus is so important in the Lacusa one, mm-hmm. like where where your directive is, like who you're paying attention to, at what moment, because there are so many chaotic moments where there are so many people going off at once. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the little one is very specific about like this is who we're following. Anybody else we come in contact with is to like take a breather and then come back to. I, yeah, I would say that the Lippo one is like a more traditional spotlight show. Mm-hmm. Which is not a necessarily... And that's a, not a negative thing. thing. I'm not saying no. that as a I bad mean, thing there's a all. reason why people call Guys and Dolls indestructible. Like, it's... Guys and Dolls is technically old-fashioned in the sense that, like, you know, it's not... It, I don't think it was ever considered super innovative, right. but it is so structurally sound, it's almost impossible to fuck up Guys and well, Dolls. Well, and that's... I mean, and that's what I mean by spotlight show. It's, it, you know, it's that sort of... Um, I don't want to say old-fashioned. It's the, it's that sort of classic musical theater structure where you know who you're looking at, you know who's talking. The spotlight hits this person when they come on, and mm-hmm. you know what I mean. It's it's that sort of um, classic approach. Yeah, but then um, but then the question is, even if something is harder to mess up, does that necessarily mean that it's better? And is better synonymous with greater? You know? No, and I think that. Well, and I think we touched on this a little bit in, in part one, where, you know, your favorite isn't necessarily the best mm-hmm. thing and vice versa. The best thing isn't necessarily going to be your favorite thing. Yes. Um, and so as far as, I guess, if we're, if we're talking successful as, the, as, as an evening, mm-hmm. I, I don't know. But 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 then I mean then you go into the whole rabbit hole of like what does that even mean like sure. successful is an evening like you feel fulfilled afterwards I don't I don't know because I will say you, like I think the moment where both wild parties end there is the Lippo one ends on a moment that is like boom door closed everyone sings a big note work it bitch and the audience feels fulfilled in a way because musically speaking and again this is on a chemical emotional level when something is resolved it feels it's nice to have that like chapter closed you know right right and i think lipas does that or at least it, or that it's its intention The Lacusa one doesn't necessarily do that. There is a resolvement in the sense. Is resolvement a word? Uh, I don't know. We'll just say there's a resolve, a resolution. Resol- that's the word I want to say. There's a resolution. Resolvement. I'm just making up words left and right. Resolvement. Resolvement. I know it. it sounded real. I'm what's into a- it. What's a pie chart? I don't know. It sounded real. Sounds Thirty delicious. Rock. That's another thing. That's that's another thing that's gay in this podcast. Thirty Rock, baby. So. <laughs> There's a resolution at the end of the Lakiza Wild Party, but it's not necessarily a satisfying resolution. It's, no, it's mus- more of a fade out. 
yeah, it's a fade out and it's not, you know, downbeat, lights out, chapter closed in the same way that the lip is. is. But does that necessarily mean that the lip is one is more successful? I don't know. Because then you have to look back at the source material and think what is the final moment of the source material. But then on top of that, you have to ask yourself, well, is the source material so you know godly that we have to do everything according to it? But at the same time, you ask yourself, you wanted to adapt it for a reason. Right. Well, I th- and I think that this is sort of a, a great point to sort of discuss the as the, the 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 musical styles of the shows mm-hmm. just in terms of cohesion mm-hmm. and 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 success i mean i think that one of the things for me about the lip version that's not as a well i don't want to say not as appealing it's just there's there's something about it for me that's not as fulfilling mm-hmm. is how jumpy and all over the place the styles of music are mm-hmm. Because it doesn't feel fused. It's not, it's feel, rather than like a great comet where it's a number of genres that are all stitched together in one, I keep using the term tapestry, but that's all I can ever think of when I think of musical theater. It's all stitched into this giant tableau mm-hmm. and blended in. So it, things like bleed into each other. The, the Lippa one sort of just feels like, I don't know, like a really harsh lighting change each time. Oh, for sure. I mean, especially, you know, when you get to a song like Wild Wild Party, mm-hmm. which, you know, is a, we already discussed is like a very upbeat moment to come out of a really dark segment of the show mm-hmm. to sort of, you know, lighten up the, mo- lighten up the mood, which I guess it does, but it just feels like a, like a moment of, oh, well, let's write a gospel number. Mm-hmm. You know what it is to me? A comedic gospel number. You know what it is to me? And this is, again, an example of how music can feel satisfying, but when you think back on it, you have to ask yourself, like, does that make, does that make sense? Right. It's that moment in Phantom of the Opera where Angel of Music has happened and she, Christine's going through the mirror and we've had, like, a lot of big, lush, romantic music. Uh-huh. And then we have Christine, Angel, and then you have the drums, and you're just like, it's I love it, but you have to ask yourself like, does that make sense? No, I I agree. That, that is that's actually a solid comparison, it's, right? But it's I guess it, for me it's harder to to not judge that, but like because I've known Phantom since I was so little. Before I guess before I I really had an opinion on style of music in a show. It just kind of made sense to me. Sure, but it made sense to me too. And it's, I mean, in, again, in a chemical, biological way, it still does. But oh, for when, sure. But like, if you stop to think about it, and now honestly, and it, I go back and forth because I've thought about it so much now. There are times when I'll listen to it and be like, "That's still kind of odd." And it truly comes down to orchestrations. But um, sure. 
Well, I think, I mean, because the, the, God, we're, we're going going on a phantom tangent, which we'll get off of in two seconds, folks. I think that the overture sort of hints at it. Sure. So you've kind of heard it. But you've, you've heard the theme, but the, but the. Yeah, no, I know the style the, is yeah, different. The way that it's orchestrated in the, in the overture is actually a lot smarter because they do it in a, in a more like Baroque um, sure. Well, and it's, no, it's true. And and up until then, the music has all had a rather classic sound to yes. it. Yes. And then you have all of a sudden synthesizers and a guitar and the claps. Bum, bum. Uh, and like. And there's no other song like that in the show. None. None whatsoever. It goes straight back to being classical or classical-esque. But that's what, going back to Wild Party, that's what I mean in the sense that like, if it felt like it all blended, I wouldn't have a problem with it. I don't care about uh historically accurate music i don't give two flying fucks about it no same yeah i care more about a cohesive unit and i don't ever want to think to myself oh we're in a samba now i want to kind of come back and go oh shit we just went from jazz to samba to rock and i never noticed well i think you know what i i just this popped into my head i think a great comparison and not a perfect show by any means but i will say one that plays with style a lot that makes sense as a whole is sideshow <laughs> yes i was i was waiting for you to take a pause so i could say like the first show that came to my mind so i was gonna be like runaways shenandoah oh my god coco yes, elizabeth suedos that's that's where we're going with this this, this wait, conversation wait, wait, is wait, elizabeth wait, say, say say like another show that like blends styles and you know say, say it again Another show that seamlessly like blends styles and orchestrations, but it makes sense to me is um, Merlin. Yes, <laughs> I fell off the couch. Uh, but no, but but I think yeah, sideshow no, is you. a Side show, show absolutely. Yeah, that successfully jumps back and forth between pastiche and like a weird contemporary sound. Well, and- so what's and what sideshow does, which is actually something the Phantom does, and I said this about Hades Town, and I wish they would listen to me is sideshow and phantom don't give you the time to stop and think about what's just happened it's it just right. keeps going it keeps moving because there are times when like the singing is not necessarily uh justified or like the plot device doesn't make a ton of sense but sideshow in the same way that like the lacusa wild party is just on a constant loop of music and mm-hmm. energy that it won't it's there to take you on a ride the whole time it's not there to make you stop and think too often right. and because every, every time you applaud something it gives you a moment to stop and think and there are too many times like the lipo one just kind of stops for me and it gives me the time to reflect to go either right. did that song do anything or like did that make sense musically to me yeah well and the and the and the, the lacusa one at least as written mm-hmm. you know even though there are there are buttons to just about every song the music immediately segues into the next thing mm-hmm. like you don't have a chance to 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 breathe or you know or really like you know stop mm-hmm. the show it's almost like lacusa re- wanted non-stop and had to sort of give a couple of buttons and he was like so i'll give you a button but i have to go back to the music in 0.5 seconds so he's right. like you know and and to be fair to that idea because it's that's the famous story with gypsy where they were out of town with gypsy and the ending of the show wasn't working. It's because they famously didn't give Rose's turn a button because they didn't want applause on it. And Oscar Hammerstein's like, you need to give the button because the audience wants to applaud Merman and thus they're not listening to the final scene because they're just waiting to applaud her. Right. Uh, and so sometimes you need the button if you want the audience to like listen <laughs> to for pay the attention. Next, to pay attention, yeah. Because now they're just yeah. like, fuck, fuck, fuck. Right. 
songs for me in the Lipa one work best out of context. Like they, I think they are really fulfilling when you listen to them in a concert or in an audition room. And, oh yeah. But in I mean, the show, less so for me. Oh yeah. I mean, if I'm, you know, if I'm out, like if you, if you go on YouTube, the number of performances at the Lori Beachman theater of some girl singing life of the party, like, Kate Rockwell. Kate Rockwell does it. Kate Rockwell. I mean, but there's like, there's easily at least 20 oh, just in, in that venue alone. But sure. it's a song that like, if you can sell it, I'm in. Like it's, I, it's a song that I'm always happy to listen to. Yeah. Well, it's, it's such a, it's a well-written song. It's well-structured. The, the music is catchy. The lyrics are good too. But mm-hmm. as I said, it, it, the reason why I think it's more popular but I think it makes it less successful as a musical is when you listen to Life of the Party on its own, out of context, you think to yourself, that's a really great song. Right. And in context of the show, it works less. And that's not what it should ever be. I right. think a song, a song can work out of context of a show and that, can't, that shouldn't be to the show's detriment. Like, oh, well, if, it, if you can pluck it out of it and still make sense, like it's, it, you're a bad show. I don't think that's true. Like, if that were true, so many musical theater songs wouldn't be standards in the 50s and 60s and 70s. Absolutely. if it works better when it's not in the show as opposed to being in the show, there is something wrong with the foundation there, at least in my eyes. I think Life of the Party and uh, When It Ends, which we've compared, um, I think you could sing both of those songs out of context and they're thrilling. Like, they're great songs for a crowd. I think... they both do different things, but have sort of a fun, similar build to them. Mm-hmm. Me, you know, when it ends, I wouldn't say is as vocally as exciting as Life of the Party, but but it still has an exciting build to it. Um, we didn't talk about when it ends uh, in context of, of this episode, did we? We only talked about it with part one, with Life of the Party? I believe so, yes. Okay. I want to... So, first of all, I we, we'll get to when it ends five seconds i but i would be remiss if we did not keep in this episode how you describe the music in the lacusa wild party <laughs> how how we, we already said angry jazz but when you think of the michael john lacusa wild party yeah. score what how do you adam ellsbury describe that music it's well i'll preface it by saying that one it's dirty jazz like it's that great grindy sound, but what I the the description I've used for our kind host, Mr. Coplick, is um, that is I've called it pussy grinding music. Specifically and, on oh, so, uh, pussy grinding on your couch. Yeah, just like um, when you're so in, it's, the image I think of when you say that is that episode of South Park where they go to a Jonas Brothers concert and all the girls are just like zombies twerking like because uh-huh. they, they can't control themselves. It's just <laughs> what the music does to them. Yeah, I mean, but I think, but, but ultimately what Michael John Lacuse's score succeeds at is a constant drive and rhythm. So speaking of life of the party, because mm-hmm. we talked about this with part one and for anyone who didn't, who did do their due diligence and listen to us in part one, I'm sorry, we're repeating ourselves, but I'm going to do it again because the people who skipped it, fuck you. If ever there was a song 
for both versions that really kind of drew the line in the sand of the difference between these two in terms of their approach to this material. We have Life of the Party and Andrew Lippa, Lippa's version. Lippa's version. Wow, I can't speak. And then we have When It Ends in the Michael John Lacusa version, sung by two very different people at two very different points in the evening. Two different characters. Yes, two different characters. Sorry, yes. Obviously, they're different actresses. We have Adina I just, Menzel. I just wanted to, yeah, I just wanted to make it clear that it was two different characters. Adina Menzel playing Kate and Eartha Kitt playing Dolores. Two very right. different characters, two very different points in the evening in both shows. And we have Adina Menzel's Kate singing Life of the Party, which is essentially, it's all going to come crashing down at some point. So when it does happen, don't you want to like have the time of your life, be the center of it all, and just be on top? And there's a manic energy that it builds up to that I don't necessarily think that Andrew Lippa wants us to think that that's the answer to life, but rather that is the feeling of the evening. Mm-hmm. And because there's a moral judgment on a lot of the characters in the Lippa one that the Lacusa one, I don't think really does. I think the Lacusa one's more sort of like a Petri dish of toxicity that they show us. Mm-hmm. Whereas the words, the Lippa one is more like a morality tale. And the Lacusa one, we have When It Ends, which is Dolores played by Eartha Kitt, who is a black woman of a certain age of that era, but truly could be of any era. And it is the song, it is a song sung by a survivor, which is basically if Adina Menzel is singing in Wild Party, don't you want to be at the center of it all when it comes to the end? And Eartha Kitt basically slaps that song out of her mouth and says to her, honey, you think you're going to be there when it's like at the end? You right. don't even like to uh, to say you're going to be there at the when it all comes crashing down is a privilege onto itself that a lot of people don't recognize as privilege because somebody like Eartha Kid, or rather like Dolores has clawed their way to get to where they are, which is not much when you think about where she's at at this party. And well, to she, well, she clawed because she's Catwoman. Are you happy? Uh-huh. Are you happy with what you said and what you did, Miss Chichi Devane? I'm not mad at it. I have to ask everybody who listens to this podcast, if you don't know who Eartha Kitt is, or if you know who Eartha Kitt is, but you don't know that Jujubee did Eartha Kitt, or you know that Jujubee did Eartha Kitt, but you didn't know that Eartha Kitt voiced Emperor's New Groove, or you knew that, Juj- that Eartha did Emperor's New Groove, but you didn't know that Valentina bombed trying to quote Emperor's New Groove, are you even an ally? <laughs> I I have to say, no, sorry. I'm just like, I'm getting all up in my head with Drag Race. I apologize. We were getting onto Wild Party Lacusa. But yeah, I don't know. I've, I've got off track. But just to say that like all this, all this culminates into two different power statements that I don't think are necessarily the thoughts of the writers, but rather the themes of the two separate shows and how these writers viewed this poem when musicalizing it. So it's not even the music for me, but it's more about the approach to the material where I'm like, this is sort of the um, inkblot mm-hmm. test for people and artists and creatives and actors and audience members. 
I have no problem with people who like fun, entertaining stuff. Lord knows I do. I do not, I don't love Smile because I think it's like the next, uh, you know, chorus line. I think Smile is a brilliant satire, but like Porgy and Bess, it is not. It is not trying to go in that direction. Right. Uh, but you also have to ask yourself, like, what are you trying to accomplish with the material you're given? What is this story about? Who are these people? Right. So we have a story about sex and murder and drugs and homosexuality and possible incest and attempted rape and assault and just like not great people and not great situations Mm -hmm. in a time in America that's like, you know, no time in America truly was ever great. There were times of America that were better for other people, right? Well, let's let's make it great again, shall we? Oh, fuck that shit. That <laughs> Sorry. Keep it great. No, no politics. Moving on. This is to say, for something like the Wild Party, again, nasty people with nasty stuff, mm-hmm. if you are trying to present it to me that's easily swallowable, I don't think you actually are doing justice to the work because- I think it's, and it's hard to sort of know where the line is because it's theater and you want, and the trick is to present stuff that's nasty in a way that people can li- will listen. Mm-hmm. You know, my, my high school teacher always used to say in an argument, when two people start yelling, nobody listens. So you have to speak in order for things to get processed. Mm-hmm. And that is, you know, sometimes where I feel like Lacusa in other works can get so in his head of like, breaking ground and making you think and challenging to the point where audiences are like, well, I'm closed off and I'm not taking any of this in. Right. It's just, it's too much. It's too much. Yeah. And the, and the wild party, I feel like is actually the one time and I would credit George C. Wolf with this as well, because George C. Wolf is a masterful showman. We said this last time and I'll say it again here. uh, George C. Wolf knows what you need to process something and he knows what you want to hear he sometimes just won't give it to you. He doesn't think you deserve it. Exactly. I find with the two wild parties with audiences that like one over the other, if you, I find the people that tend to lean towards the Lippa one are the ones that are more comfortable taking in danger from a distance and watches it end and goes, those poor people onto dinner. And then the Lacusa one where it forces you to confront a lot of these things. Cause it's not just about the seediness. It's about issues that are still prominent today mm-hmm. and forces you to kind of afterwards go, am I okay? And, <laughs> and, and then you walk away kind of in a stupor in a lot of ways, but there's, and, and, and mm, no, and this is why this is really the only time I'm comparing two different works is because no work in general is created equal, right? Like you don't walk out of, Porgy and Beth the same way you walk out a smile. But these two different wild parties are trying to do very similar things. How they do it is indicative of the creatives who created it and the audiences that like what they like. And you have to mm-hmm. ask yourself, why do you like what you like? Why is this, why do you think this is danger? Yeah, it's, I, I think it's, it's just, a, it's a difference in confidence between the two mm-hmm. in, the, in the writing and, and, the, and I guess just even the, the style in which it's presented. Yes. So which leads us to the final declaration. Yeah. Which wild party is better? To which I say, before we go into anything, the Andrew Lippa wild party is a more structurally sound musical. It hits all the beats of musical theater writing that it's supposed to hit. It is more indestructible. It is a fully formed musical. It, it is crystallized into what it wants to be. The Lacusa one is better. 
it <laughs> it is better and that's not just my personal opinion like that came after the last 48 hours of really looking at these two and going yeah because it's you know and maybe it's because i'm just thinking of uh because i talked about amadeus with ali three weeks ago it is a salieri mozart kind of situation where it's like salieri does everything you're supposed to do as a composer he hits the notes he does the scales and everything like that and Mm -hmm. there's nothing technically wrong on a beat by beat level but it's the details and it's the intricacies and it's the overall attitude that you have to ask does this make sense on a larger scale yeah well you know and a point that i was going to make earlier and i and but this is also another reason for me why i think that i like the lacusa one more Mm -hmm. i know that i like the lacusa one more but this is one of the reasons why i that contributes to it i i believe is that the lacusa one does a lot more of showing and not telling Mm -hmm where the Lippa one does a fair amount of telling because of the Greek chorus. And there's a lot of, you know, they, they tr- where he tries to fill in some of the blanks for the mm-hmm. audience, where I think because the, the, the archetypes of characters that exist in the Lacusa one are so strongly written, I don't need blanks filled in. I think it all makes sense. Mm-hmm. I know why everybody's there, wh- you know, where they're going, what they're doing and who they're into Mm -hmm. and it and 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 so having because having things spelled out for you sometimes for me just is a less exciting thing like i i mean who doesn't love a big like reveal moment on a on a tv show or where you're you know when you find out that so and so is somebody's brother or whatever it is but it's that moment of oh shit and not that the wild party has any of those moments, but I think that the the reveals over the course of the evening in the Lacusa one, finding out that Burr's killed his previous wife, find having that Sunset Boulevard moment of you know yeah. it's not it's not Madame Madame they want it's the car it's but it's it's all of those moments where you think this party starts off at a great point and the more things get chipped away the worse everything becomes. It's those reveals that are more exciting to me than just having something spelled out. So something that I always say about one of the reasons why I do, why Beauty and the Beast is technically like the best Disney animated film ever made, but Little Mermaid's my favorite. Mm -hmm. And, you know, an example, by the way, of how I was able to approach these two wild parties. Belle is a wonderful role model but i respond greater to ariel because Mm -hmm. ariel is like bell has her shit figured out and like knows who she is and knows what she wants and knows how to act properly in every situation and that is wonderful to see and she's a phenomenally strong character Mm -hmm. ariel is messier and thus more human and thus more relatable to me and there is a messiness about musical theater that i feel like has gotten lost in a lot of broadway musical theater works over the last 20 years. Mm-hmm. And I'm not even talking about dramatization. I'm talking about characters. Like, I'm not, and we have them sometimes. Like, we still get characters who are very complex and live in like this moral gray area. But we tend to, because of sort of how we have now come to process those works and how the, you know, the internet goes about and cancel culture and, and whatnot. Like, I, the number of friends I had who hated Groundhog Day because they thought Andy Carl's character was awful. And I'm like, that's the point. He's right. a, he's a terrible human being who learns to be better and thus eventually breaks the cycle. It's, you know, 
it's the people who watched Beauty and the Beast the first time and thought that it was Belle's story and didn't realize it's the Beast's story. He's the one that has the arc. He's the one that grows and learns. And people walk in every musical and they go, can we have more Bells? And I'm like, Belle isn't a, a story trajectory. The Beast is a story trajectory. It's, right. I don't, I love seeing good people do good things, but it's m- more emotionally involving for me to watch broken people learn to rebuild. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think, no, I agree with you. No, I, no, no, I, yeah. no the, uh, I, I think the, the queen in the, in the Lacusa one, I just think she has, I think she has more fight to her. Mm-hmm. I think she's more stubborn. So who was it? Um, oh, it was on Sherlock where somebody said like, fear is just the brain's rational response when it meets danger. Right. Uh, it's you, fear is you being smart. And Queenie is in a relationship that could kill her. Right. And there is a lot more fear from Queenie overall in the Lipa one, the Lacusa one, the danger is made very real. So for Queenie to not be scared as often as she is, is sort of like her own mental gymnastics of turning off, of numbing herself to that, uh, to that idea. Well, and I think it, 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 something like that adds to the danger factor of the evening too, where you watch someone continually beat off the warning signs Mm-hmm. Like they like bat them away as they're given to her by people who, you know, have some sort of information that she doesn't mm-hmm. and have, you know, ha- have a vantage point to say, you know, girl, you're in trouble. Molly, you in danger, girl. And I'm she's like, girl. and she's like, she's like, no, everything's fine. You know, it doesn't matter. I, I, I don't, I don't care what anybody says about it, about Burrs. I know it's not true. You know, she, she continues to defend him for some reason, but she's not playing victim she just refuses to um she just she just refuses to um to she refuses to play the victim yeah well i think because in her mind playing the victim means a sense of defeat or like to flee the situation is to admit defeat of the situation and that you that you lost and for queenie it's sort of in her own twisted way hunkering down and staying in the sinking ship is a kind of strength to her. Yeah. Um, so would you say then that the Lacusa one is the better one? I would <laughs> I'm not trying to be diplomatic. Yes, I do think it is the better one. I was, I was going to say that it's, it's the one that I like more. Mm-hmm. So in but my we're here, opinion, we are here to say once and for all to end no, the message board comments. Okay, once and for all, I would I would say that it's the better one. The Lacusa one is is better than the Lipa one. I can understand why people like the Lipa one, and I think there's plenty to like. I do too, and that's why I, it's hard for me to like because I don't I don't I'm, I don't want to shit talk the Lipa one because no. there's plenty in it that I find really enjoyable and fun and um and and worthwhile and and all of that. Yes. Um, I just, as far as, you know, something for, for my taste being satisfying and, uh, and challenging and sort of what I want to see when I go to the theater, the Lacusa one is more successful in that way. And after having reviewed them both side by side mm-hmm. for this podcast, I find that the Lacusa one is more successful and better at conveying the, um, the, 
the tone and arc of the the story that's being told. I am not trying to shit on Andrew Lippa. I feel like you and I have done a very good job of acknowledging the things that are good about his version, about where what he does well. Yeah, and there are good things that we didn't talk about either. Sure, we really didn't. We didn't do a lot of focusing on cast. I mean, we we mentioned in the, the first casting, one, well, but we're going over cast list. The casts are for both shows were fantastic, yeah, but they're also very different kinds of casts. Yeah, um, one was a much a, a much younger uh, a much younger cast with a, a lot of dancers. So actually, I think so. I have been very vocal lately about sort of my dissatisfaction with. Broadway in terms of how it's chosen the the artistic roads it's chosen to go down overall oh there's always you know the one that goes against the grain and and whatnot but the overall trends which is you look at the two wild parties and you have the Lacusa one which is a cast of singing actors who are all very different from each other various uh, ethnicities various ages various body types Mm -hmm. and the Lippa one is a much more clean cut Calvin Klein eyeshadow suspenders bowler hat garter kind of wild party which adds to the safety that we were talking about earlier pretty pretty people singing pretty doing you know safely seedy pretty things and I think it's safe to say that the Lacusa one and I don't think any of these actors would disagree with this statement is predominantly character performers yes but what I mean is that there is like there basically it's almost like um Jamila Jamil said once that like what we consider attractive is basically just like four men once got together and said this is beauty mm-hmm. and Broadway kind of feels like around 2000 with honestly I don't know if like it's because of this wild party or if it was just sort of like to use the image I love to use again the match that got struck that like lit up the the powder keg it created this sort of this vision of thin toned pretty people a lot of them white singing in a very specific way and acting in a very specific way and dancing in a very specific way that has now sort of become the norm that we then have all become brainwashed into thinking that is that's the only way that's the only way yes yeah well and i and and it's it's, it even goes to show just in the 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 published script itself and i think in the in the final rehearsal draft script which i have for the lacusa wild party it's it specifies that the the people that are that appear in the opening number who ostensibly end up being you know the characters later in the show come in all shapes and sizes Mm -hmm. it's a group of people in all shapes and sizes and i think it's so I think that already primes you to know that you, if you're, if you're putting this show on, that this needs to be a varied group of people. Mm-hmm. It's not a room full of models. It's a room full of all different types of folks. Mm-hmm. And, a, you know, a, a, tr- a true variety. And I think that that's, that ultimately that's what, that's one of the, one of the additional contributing factors to me liking the Lacusa one more. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, so yes, we have finally decided. We determined it. We said it. It's true. It's canon. And anyone who tries to say otherwise, show them the way to this uh, to this podcast. And hopefully, we've done our due diligence to never have this pop up in message boards ever again. I mean, we've talked a lot. Did we though? Did we talk enough? Well, and here's here's the honest truth, everybody that's <laughs> listening. We we could. Con- <laughs> We could probably continue to delve on this for another three hours, but yeah, I need to eat dinner. So I need to eat dinner. I need to I need to 
go work on stuff. Uh, we could talk about this forever. We have talked about this for a long period of time and there's still yeah. so much we didn't touch on that I would love to touch on. Yeah. Um, so if there's anything we didn't touch on that you would like to hear, you know, shoot me a DM and tell me, write, write us a five-star review and put in the review what exactly we didn't touch on that you want to have touch on. Uh, if you're like, hey, maybe do this again with someone who prefers the Lipa version so they can come for you, Matt Koplick, and take your stupid pretty face and rub <laughs> it in the dirt. I say, thank you for saying I'm pretty and thank you for treating me rough. To quote, you know, Ira Gershwin, treat me rough. Uh, <laughs> I can't believe I just did that like Ariana Grande. Treat me rough. So well, I think- I didn't understand the lyrics, so it wasn't quite like Ariana Grande. Sorry. So let's come to the end of this. We wrapped it up. Right. It's all done. It's all well and good. Uh, you can go out and you can listen to both. Decide for yourself, but just and know- you should. Like, it has been definitively proven which one is better, but like which one you like is all I'm saying. Yeah, if, if I, I would say that if you if you sat through both of these episodes, if you weren't familiar with the 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 show before and you're you're learning about it now and not everything, you know, I, I would say that it's definitely worth your time to not only listen to both of the cast recordings, which I would say are both really good cast recordings, but also well but also there's tons of footage on YouTube and. I would highly recommend looking at the at what exists of both um, just Same. so you could see these casts in action because they really are, you know, it's, it's worth watching everybody in, in their, it's some of them in their prime. It's like, it's for me, it's like prime Adina time. It is prime Adina Menzel. So um, let's, let's call it a close. Um, call it a close. Yeah. Let's, I'm going to ask that we close out with the legendary Miss Eartha Kit mm-hmm. giving us that big old one last fight in when it ends absolutely uh, yes so everyone thank you so much for listening you can find me on instagram at matt Coplick. you can find adam on instagram at a d a m e l s no yeah adam adam l's yep adam l's uh once again, write uh rate and review us we love it so much and this is miss eartha kit thank you so much for listening bye bye Beauty won't matter and brains won't matter when the world falls apart one cold and starving night Money won't matter, and love won't matter If you ain't got the balls to fight that one last fight I can tell you that nobody lasts forever I've been there and there and there and Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.